Hello, and welcome to show number 2404 of Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. Court stenography is basically taking down a verbatim record of everything that's said in a courtroom. It's basically for the poster, you know, posterity of the record and for it to be authentic and make sure that everything is correct. Well, I've never been in a situation where I've needed a court stenographer, never having been at a trial or being accused of anything. But that's what we'll be talking about today, how being a court stenographer can be a perfectly fine, interesting job. We'll talk with Eden Kaiser about how she was drawn to the profession and what makes it suitable for somebody who is blind. We'll hear about how she was trained, the technology that makes it possible, how the job is done, and why she finds it so rewarding. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Eden Kaiser. If people tell you you can't do this job or you have accessibility issues, don't be afraid to reach out. You need to let people know and you need to focus on whatever your dream is and don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. And that applies to every facet of life. Anything. (laughs) Yeah. Everything. And we've had a similar discussion in many previous episodes where people are doing unusual jobs that you might not think a blind person could do or participating in some kind of sport that you might not initially think a blind person would want to do or be able to do. And sure enough, they find a way to come through and do it. So it really is just a matter of figuring out a way of doing what you really want to do if you're passionate about it. And one of the reasons we air this podcast is so that somebody who might be interested in doing one of these jobs or hobbies or sports activities or whatever can learn from others who figured out how to do it and have less trouble making it happen for themselves. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Eden. Hi, my name is Eden Kaiser. I live in Vancouver, Washington, which is actually near the Washington-Oregon border. I have done a lot of things in my life. I moved here from Florida about 12 years ago. I have a longtime partner and a rabbit. And I have been reading tarot cards for about five years But recently, in the past year and a half, I decided I needed to change something with more stability, more work. And I'd always loved stenography and court reporting and thought that I would learn to do that. So that's me in a nutshell. I'm very active uh, as far as trying to get things to be more accessible and being able to talk to people. And um, I just thought I'd like to come on the show and share my love of my new career. And for anybody who wants to hear more about tarot card reading, we did an episode in which we interviewed Eden about that, and that was a lot of fun and very interesting. And I still do it as well. If people are needing readings, I still am open to doing them. And you are visually impaired and have been for some time, right? 
Yes, I have been. I have been blind since birth, uh, reading Braille since three, you know, I can basically only see some light and shadow. As blind as you can be, pretty much. Support for Eyes on Success comes from our listeners and corporate sponsors. For more information about airing promotional items on the show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is court reporting. What makes it suitable for someone with vision loss, how to train for it, how it's done, and the technology that makes it possible. Well, Eden, tell us a little bit about what court stenography is. Well, court stenography is basically taking down a verbatim record of everything that's said in a courtroom. It's basically for the posterity, you know, posterity of the record and for it to be authentic and make sure that everything is correct. Because even though you can record audio of a proceeding, a lot of things are going to get missed because some people don't talk directly into the mic or, you know, that might not pick up the frequency. So court reporters, both stenographers who use a machine and voice writers who use our voice, we take down the record. And that is, we create a transcript for people who need it, like for appeals or for trials. We do depositions and trials. So you can work remotely or in person, depending on what you're doing. So everybody's probably seen on various television shows the person in the corner with the stenography machine taking down everything that's going on. But you said that sometimes people do, the stenographer, or the court reporter, works with voice dictation. How is that any different from just recording what the witnesses and lawyers and stuff are saying? That's a good question, Nancy. Um, and that's true. We use a mask, so we make sure we're not being heard by other people. It's a soundproofing mask, not like a mask to protect you from viruses and stuff. But basically, the reason why recording isn't so good is because, like I said, sometimes people are too far away from the mics. You have people with heavy accents. Perhaps they mumbled, and the tape recorder can't say, I need you to repeat that or can you speak louder because the record, you know, they have digital reporters. I, well, actually, I call them recorders. They are not reporters. Don't get me started on digitals, but they basically do what you're saying. And then people like me, we can do transcripts of those as you know, part of the work that we do if we want to. And half the time you have to leave inaudible or indiscernible because there was no one there to make sure the record was protected. So in other words, if you have a digital recording, you can rewind and listen to it over and over again until you can figure out what was said. You, you can, you can try, but they, half the time, if, if it hasn't been recorded right, you know how I couldn't hear you earlier? Um, sometimes that happens with a witness. Sometimes the audio recording doesn't work right. And honestly, that's the way it is. The, our notes and our takedown is what's considered the record, not the audio, because audio can have so many variables go into it, as we just found out. <laughs> and I guess the important part here is to have a text record that people can search and can be put in the archive for later use. 
Absolutely. And you can even have a situation where they can timestamp the text to the audio. Um, and some proceedings, they don't even allow recordings. In. And so there's that as well. There's a lot of different things that go into it. There are some things where they found that digital, you know, recording can work. But for, for courts, um, there was an example here in the States a few months ago of someone who ordered a, like a trial from, you know, an audio and an AI even uh, transcribing it or, or whatever. And it was, it was a mess. And so that's why it's the digital world helps us. But in fact, it definitely does because I use, Part of my voice writing is we have to use dragon because that for that translates the words onto paper, you know, into the computer screen. And then we have a software that automatically does all of our formatting so that, you know, you have the right format, the answer, question and answer and the colloquy, which is basically speak, people speaking like the court or the lawyers speaking to each other. It's, it's basically just anything that isn't question and answer. So I used Dragon Naturally speaking about 20 years ago. I was having trouble with carpal tunnel and it hurt too much to type. And it was almost as painful using the speech recognition at the time. It was making, well, it claimed this was terrific, 95% accuracy, but that meant a mistake every 20 words. I gather things have improved big time. Well, yes and no. They have improved. There are still going to be, for you, Nancy, Like if you're just talking at your normal speed and you are dictating a letter and doing everything just right like you should, you would probably have close to 100% accuracy now. However, somebody who's doing what I'm doing, which is talking in a very low voice, uh, which is also talking sometimes up to 220 words a minute or more if you get a fast attorney. And Dragon, I mean, there are people who do real time and who are immediately 95% accurate. But when we test, we have to get 95% accurate on our test, but we have time to edit it. And there are people who are certified where they're, they've gotten their dragon trained so good that it is 95% or more accurate right away. But we aren't using dragon the way it was meant to be used with a nice, clear, you know, normal tone. We're, we're having to use it in ways it wasn't meant to be used. And it still works. There are still, you know, it's still really good. I was much better with it. I tried stenography and my errors even when I could decipher them, got to be so bad that I couldn't, you know, I couldn't deal with it. So it's all how you use it. You have to train it. You train it to your voice. That's the reason why people won't use Dragon um, for, say, multi-voice things, because it really trains itself to your voice. And it does, it does take time. Like, you can't use it. Although, actually, it's much better now, but typically you can't use it the first time and expect that it's going to do a perfect job. And you have to learn how to speak to it. You have to speak in chunks and you have to, you know, get little sips of breath in between it. And I mean, I can send you a sample at some point, but my breathing is noisy. <laughs> when we first started talking, I was under the impression that 
you simply listened to the audio and tried to make a transcription of that, but it sounds like you use a variety of speech recognition tools and you must work back and forth between the speech recognized text and the audio to make corrections from the speech recognition. Here's the thing that I do. Um, I, in real time, like if you were speaking right now and you were doing uh, your show, I, I would sit there and speak right behind you. So I'm speaking live while it's going on. I'm not just recording the audio. I'm actually in the corridor, in the deposition, using my voice recognition right then. And then later, I don't deal anything with the audio right then. Later, then I go back and look, oh, did my voice recognition make a mistake? Do I need to correct it? Of course, now we have AI that we can even use to try to fill in the blanks if we miss something. There's so many tools out there now. And they are usable. Oh, so you're transcribing your own speech, not the audio from whatever session you're listening to. Well, actually, I can get both. What happens is I translate from my speech later. It's already translated. I just have to fix any errors later. But I record both my audio and my room audio. You know, it's a lot better than it was before. Back in the old days, they literally had to transcribe from their voice or stenography notes. There was no computer transcription. And now we have specific programs. And, I, you know, I'll be, whenever I hear people talk about how expensive JAWS is, which it is, but I have to laugh because that's the only unfortunate thing about the software that I use is that it is $5,000. Wow. It is not cheap. Yeah, but, you know, if, if you get with Vocal Rehab, they have paid for it for people. I was just too impatient to wait for them. When you contacted us originally and offered to do a show about court reporting, you said in your note that it was very amenable to being done by somebody with vision loss. Can you elaborate on that? I can. Um, basically, the software that I use is accessible. They, um, they have made it accessible. Like I said, there was earlier, there was a problem with getting it to work correctly with Windows 11, but through a lot of advocacy and me not letting up because I'm loud, <laughs> um, it has been fixed. It basically puts everything in Braille or I wouldn't recommend using speech to do this job because grammar is very crucial and punctuation and formatting, but it shows up nicely on a display and I'm trying to figure out if I can get split braille to work and show me like the errors. Cause right now I have to, when it points to an error, when I scan for errors, I have to um, hit the insert page down, which is I think read a, the bottom line or the status line. And so I'm trying to figure out if I can park my jaws cursor there. And basically it, they have spell and proofreading functions and you know, basically Dragon will work. I know there are scripts for Dragon with JAWS, but unfortunately for our use case, they actually interfere and they aren't really necessary because we're not trying to read back our corrections with the speech. You need to use Braille. That's the only thing I would say is that you need to be a very good proficient Braille reader. As you mentioned in the introduction, you were doing tarot card reading to make a living in the past. Then you decided to change careers. How did you choose this type of career? 
Well, here's what happened back about 25 years ago. I'm dating myself. Um, I tried to do stenography and unfortunately they were very unhelpful. They didn't really guide me. Their things weren't made as accessible. They didn't, the ADA had just really become a thing, you know, just a few years before. Basically it just didn't work. I felt overwhelmed. And then I heard some guy on, I think it was FS cast who was a stenographer in Italy. And I was like, you know what? I still want to do this. And I looked into voice and stenography and everyone was telling me voice writers just aren't as accurate. Voice writers just, you know, you need to be a stenographer. And so I did. And I, I, I liked it, but I just couldn't get fast enough, or at least not in the time frame I wanted to. And I also started editing for other court reporters. That's what I'm actually doing for work as I'm getting on board with the agencies to do court reporting now that I have my license. But every time I was editing for these people, there were voice writers and steno writers, the machine writers, and some were good and some were bad. And that was in both of them. And when I started struggling, you know, both my morale, because I was failing so many tests, I'm not used to that. Um, and my morale and everything was just falling and, you know, money. And I finally just said, I'm going to do this. And I started studying voice. And May, I got up to my 225 words per minute needed for the test, and I flew to Florida. I mean, that's the only thing. It's offered in different, the testing is offered in different places, but it's not always where you live. And I flew to Florida, visited my family, took my test, and passed with um, over 98% on all my dictations. Wow. You need to pass by 95. I passed at 98. You don't need to pass at 98 unless, unless you live in California. Then you need a 97.5. <laughs> They're strict. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. You talked about getting a license and having to pass a very rigorous exam with an incredibly high score. What kind of training did you need in order to do that? Well, you have to have good grammar, good English skills, but you you take or read a book about I did a lot of self-study, to be honest, but you, you you take classes or read books about the court reporting grammar. There's some on Bookshare. They're both uh, Morrison's Guide. Uh, I can't remember the end. Uh, I'd have to send you a list. But they're basically, it's teaching you how to use grammar when people don't always use proper grammar because we don't write like we speak. And punctuating can be different. So we learn that. We learn legal terminology. We learn medical terminology. We learn how to make our voices lower um, and how to breathe. Well, they don't teach enough about that, how to do that. I actually went to a vocal coach who teaches singing, and she helped me. You have to learn how to, you know, breathe very minimally sometimes because you have to talk a lot. Um, and basically it's, it's speed building. You go and you do dictations, um, from different sources and you, you learn them and you practice and you take practice tests. And when you think you're ready or you're, you know, it's not like school. And the, the nice thing about court reporting is you basically don't need a degree. However you get there, whether you self study, whether you take classes from three different people like I did. <laughs> because each had different things to offer me. 
it doesn't matter. If you pass your test, they don't care where you went to school. That, and that's the difference between voice writing and stenography. You can do voice writing, you know, you can take two years if you want, but you can do it in six months. Stenography, not so much. How long do you figure the training took you? Well, it's hard to guesstimate since I started in the, you know, the machine. And so I already had some of the academics. Um, and plus, I've been a consummate learner all my life. It took me six months from the time I started doing voice. But if you want to count all the classes I'd already taken, it had been a year and a half, although I think I still could have done it in six months. And one of the courses uh, I, that I know of that teaches people most of their graduates are certified within six months. For other people who might be interested in such a career, I'm curious, did you work through some rehab agencies to get the training and get placed in a job, or did you do this all on your own? I'm going to be honest. I tried to work with rehab, and they wanted me to go through a whole lot of rigmarole because they thought court reporting was a dying field and that they weren't needed. and. And right now we have about eight counties in Washington, which are looking for officials. So I find that rather humorous. Um, I know other people have gotten them to pay, but sometimes it takes a while. I won't lie. You have to have a, you have to be able to really justify yourself to them or um, be able to get financial aid or some of the schools that I know of that aren't actual colleges. They're, you know, four or 5,000, which I know it's bad, but it's still not as horrible as is college and it gets you the same thing. So I have different ideas for different people depending on their situation. And I'm happy to talk to anyone and try to come up with, and California, they can train for free. That's one thing. If you're in California, I know of a college that trains them for free, but you have to live there. And you have to do even better on the final exam. But you know what? It's it's not undoable. In a lot of and it's it's if you do live in California, they love court reporters and they they make good money there. I just saw one a posting for an official for one hundred thirty thousand starts. So um, we can't move to California, but if I was, I would take it. In the U.S., is court reporting always done in English, or is it sometimes in other languages? Not really in other languages in the court system. However, the other thing you can do with this kind of thing, like voice writing, which would always be remote, if you can get good enough to get the 95% accuracy in real time, you know, before you edit, then you can do cart or captioning. And there are sometimes availabilities for that in Spanish. But as far as anything else, I would say no, not in the U.S. So how does it work if the defendant or the witness or somebody else in the trial doesn't speak English and they have a translator involved? That's a good question. Are you transcribing what the translator says in English? Or are you also responsible for capturing the original in some other language? Thankfully, no, I'm not responsible for that. You, What you do is you swear in the interpreter first, and then you swear in the defend or the witness. And that way, you just have to write down what the interpreter says. It actually gives you more time to write stuff down because you're, they're not moving on to the next thing so fast. 
I've actually edited and transcribed a few of those. So far, I've mostly just been doing um, transcriptions and editing at home, but I just signed up um, for an agency to do some freelance. My goal is to be an official, but because not all counties use court reporters anymore, I would have to move, and that requires finances, so we're going to wait until I build up a little bit. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about becoming a court reporter and how to contact Eden Kaiser, who has generously offered to answer your questions. Well, Eden, for other people who might be interested in pursuing such a career, can you point to any resources that might help them out? Um, I would honestly... Yeah, there's so many, but the best place I would look for is um, is encouraging court reporting students on Facebook. Um, you, there's just so, and myself, you can contact me because there are so many resources. Even if you want to do the machine instead of voice, I can probably help you find things that people that will work with you and people who are amenable. This whole Honestly, most court reporters are truly have been truly helpful, and I couldn't have asked for a more supportive. Most of it, I mean, there's going to be ignorant people everywhere, but they've been awesome. So, Facebook for me has been a good place, but contact me, and I can. If you're not on Facebook and want other things and need help, my um my email is it's Eden Kaiser, and so my email address is e d e n k i. Z-E-R-0718 at gmail.com. And I am planning to have a Zoom to discuss with people who are interested. So if you are interested in that, send me an email so that I can put you on the list for when I have it. Is there any kind of umbrella organization that you could send people to for information? Um, sure. MVRA.org. Um, National Voice Reporters Association. Um, and it, you can also look for your state organization, but the MVRA.org um, has, um, it has all the schools that they know of that teach voice and they can also guide you to people who in, in your area as well. And as usual, you can find all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode, which is episode 2404 at our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. We'll also have a link to a previous episode in which we talked with Eden about tarot card reading. And that was a fun episode. And you might even hear the fortune that she gave to us during that show. That's it for today's show. Next week on Eyes on Success, it will truly be out of this world. We'll be talking about making space exploration accessible to people with disabilities, including blindness. Sherry Wells Jensen is a fully blind associate professor of linguistics at Bowling Green State University who spent six days with four crew members in a hermetically sealed habitat at Biosphere 2 learning about what it would be like living on Mars or the moon. We'll talk with Sherry about the experience and what the folks at NASA learned from it about making space travel accessible. 
So put on your spacesuits and join us for next week's episode. Catch you then. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.